And welcome to the TKW Podcast. I'm Matt Spendley, and I'm joined tonight by Kyle Maggio. What's going on, Matthew? And Anthony Corbo. Hey, hey. So, fellas, how about that Knicks game tonight? Real barn burner. Yeah, it looked all right after the first quarter, and then it just all went to shit. Like, I don't know, there was a lot of things that I was, like, talking about on the, uh, or that Kyle and I were talking about on the Twitch stream earlier tonight. Um for those of you that could actually hear what I was saying. But like I had mentioned that the Knicks were going to be able to do well if they could hit some threes and, you know, defend the perimeter well, which they did for a minute, and then everything just fell apart. So the thing was they shot well from outside too. Like that that's why I got good vibes from this game, because all of a sudden, you know, Lance hit a couple of threes. Burke hit I mean his only shot was a three, but this was before he missed several other shots. So it looked like things were gonna get going tonight. Timmy hit a couple and I don't know. I mean, he started his Zonia hit a couple and I don't know. Usually we don't shoot that many threes. So to me, that thing, you know, things are going to bode well for us when we do. And then uh, just nothing, nothing after that. The Corpus point, they didn't defend the three point line at all. They didn't even look interested in it. His is walking up to the three point line. So I uh, got out and of like, here pretty quickly. They didn't have like Wayne Ellington. They didn't have anybody like they didn't even have their best three point shooters out there. And it didn't even matter. It was truly brutal. The third quarter, they got mutilated from deep by Miami. We saw the Knicks, even in the first half, when they made nine threes, they only took 15 out of about 50 shots. So they're still not taking quite enough threes or quite as many threes as they should. I want to get into that a little later when we kind of talk about what we want to look for this team moving forward. But yeah, so in the first half, well, let's talk about the first half first. What did you guys see that you liked in the first half that the Knicks showed before it all went to hell in the third quarter? I guess shooting. I mean, that's that's really the big thing. Co- you know, guys taking shots, guys being confident. Um, I think that Frank Neal Aquino looked pretty good with this shot, just about all game. And um, yeah, yeah, I, I think that was really the biggest thing. Just continuing to to move the ball up the court, play fast. The you know, no turnovers really. Uh, they just looked lost as usual on defense. Rough night for Cancer tonight, huh? Yeah, he got eaten alive, man. That third quarter, like you really started to see it, but he got eaten alive. Hassan, uh, Hassan Whiteside put up twenty-two and uh, fourteen with three blocks, and just—I mean, he was a plus thirty tonight, which isn't foolproof, but I mean, you could clearly see what he was doing to Cantor. Just, just outmatched him. I think what did Cantor finish with tonight? Eight, eight and five tonight, and nothing. And just for nothing. record. Just for the record, the last time Whiteside had a 22-14 and 14 type of game was March 5th of last year. He had 24-14. and 14. Other than that, he's only scored at least 20 points once or twice. So he hasn't done that in a very, very long time, and he completely ate the Knicks alive on the inside tonight. Timmy it's, was significantly less aggre- uh, aggressive in the second half, too. Yeah, well, the second half, I think it's one of those halves you just throw it out, pretend it didn't happen, throw it out. Yeah. And it's, it's a very poor effort. I think it's on, just on everybody gave up, you know? 
45 points for the Heat in the third quarter. And I tweeted yeah. this out. The Knicks before tonight, I know we kind of define the Knicks as being this awful third quarter team. They had the third best point differential in the third quarter through four games going into tonight. And obviously the number one thing we always say, especially early in the season, is the sample size. So nothing really matters yet. But still, they weren't getting decimated in the third quarters. And we saw tonight that flip, that switch was just completely off. And they'll drop precipitously down the third quarter standings when we check back tomorrow. So good on you, boys. What do we, so just kind of taking a look at the game as a whole and may, you know, I don't know how much of this is speculation, but how badly do we feel like Courtney Lee is being missed out there? Like, obviously the Knicks didn't play any defense on the three point line tonight. Do you think he would have had any effect in helping this game stay with the Knicks or do you think they were just a lost cause regardless? I think it would have helped. I mean, he probably would have played some of those minutes Mario played and Mario was doing, um, I mean, he was almost assisting the Heat in shooting threes tonight. So I would imagine he'd help. I don't know how much in a game like this, but a little bit. Guys, I'm making a sweeping declaration right now. I've said all summer that I'm out on Trey Burke, and he was bad tonight. So I, I want to solidify my stance. I'm out on Hazonia. Mm-hmm. I'm calling it right now. I don't yeah. care where this season goes. I'm out on him. Please mm-hmm. convince me to get back in on him or have any sort of hope that he can turn this around because he looks awful. I mean, I'm just about to start a little list here with all the Knicks players names on it and then cross them off one by one as you're out on them before December. That will likely happen because I am a cynical person by nature. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not out, out on him. I mean, he hasn't look. he hasn't impressed us outside of the Milwaukee game, right? I mean, he played a shit preseason, um, terrible first couple of regular season games, had a nice little bounce back in the kid, uh, 18 points in Milwaukee. And, just, I mean, I know it says he has 13 points tonight, but it, it was four 15 shooting, two of eight from deep. He just, I, I don't, he just looks lost. Like he just looks out of it. Like other players aren't really playing well, which is fine. But Mario just looks like out of it compared to them. Yeah, he's just like, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm just about where I'm not quite where Matt is now, but I'm, I'm getting there for sure. He just doesn't look like he. Like he doesn't look like he's learned anything in his first couple of years in the league. Like he knows his, he knows where he can hit up from on the floor. He knows like kind of how he likes to play, but he, I just feel like he, he still is trying to adapt to this game. It's, it's real frustrating because it's like Clyde keeps saying out there too. He just doesn't look at the rim when he's driving. He takes like, like he won't just put the shot up when he catches it. He waits, takes a dribble or something and then puts it up. Like he's just hesitating out there and he just does not look comfortable. He can easily turn this around. I'm just taking a stance because it's early in the season. And that's what we got to do. So I, that's where I'm planting my flag. I'm out on it. Mario Hazonia. I, I hope I'm it. wrong. But do you, do you think it would make a difference if he started? Like, let's say while Knox is out, you know, Lance Thomas hasn't played all that well. He's okay tonight, but, you know, as a whole, let's say they slide him in at the 40. You think that makes a difference in trying to get him going or? Sure, it's possible. I mean, he took eight threes tonight. If he's playing with. I'd have to look. We'll have to see who he's getting the most of his minutes with. But I mean, with the bench units he's going out with, it's Vonley. You know, it's a it's a Trier, and he's getting some minutes with Frank slash Trey Burke. Those aren't great three point shooters, and they aren't threats from out there. So it's tough because the floor isn't spaced all that much. So that's kind of what he's providing. I still think he's the guy that we could see shoot more threes. So I do not mind seeing the eight threes he attempted tonight. But it could make a difference. I just don't know if he's a good addition to a starting lineup that already has two to three minus defenders as is. And I don't think Kazonia is anywhere near 
anywhere near a legitimate defender in the NBA from what we've seen. Oh, heaven's point. No. Yeah, I don't disagree with that at all. It wasn't even the thing is, he wasn't even trying. That that's what bothers me. We've talked about that before too, where, where there's sometimes bad defenders who actually try all the time. Like you can just really clearly see tonight. He just wasn't trying. He just wasn't hustling. You know, you, you can't you can't not do that. Like one possession, sure, but we saw on repeated attempts that it was Mario's guy shooting these threes. So I mean, it was just embarrassing. All right, Matt. Yep. It is October twenty fourth. It is by the time this to come out, it'll be October twenty fifth. I'm gonna read some name names off to you, just based okay. off of where we are at this point in the season. You tell me if you're in or you're out. I love it. Binary. It's gonna All be right. binary, right? Binary. I'm in or I'm out. There's no in between. You ready? Okay. Yeah. Ron Baker. Out. Trey Burke. <laughs> out. Damian Dotson. In. Tim Hardaway Jr. So in. Mario Hazonia. Out. Isaiah Hicks. Out. Ennis Canner. In. Ooh. Kevin Knox. In. Luke Cornett. In. Yeah, we know that. <laughs> I knew that was Come on, what kind of question is that? Courtney Lee. In. Emmanuel Moutier. Out. Frank Neal Kina. In. Christoph Sporzingis. In. Mitchell Robinson. In. Lance Thomas. In, but it's it's a very, yeah, very, very close there. I'm not confident in saying in there, but I'm still in. Lonzo Trier. In. Noah Vonley. In. Okay. The guys that are teetering there, it, it's Thomas, but we we know what Lance is, so I'm he's not a guy. You're. I'm I'm most interested in you going uh, in on Cantor. Well, all right, let's let's talk about Cantor for a second. Yeah. So he has a rough game tonight, right? But Cantor's another guy. We know what he is at this point in his NBA career. We talked about this in the preseason in the pods that we did over the summer. What we expect from a guy like him with Porzingis on the shelf and the type of lineup that they're going to put around him. And I said, sure, you could see his averages tick up a bit, but right now he's averaging 19 and 12. That's prior to tonight's game. So he's going to be more like, you know, 16 and and 10 again, but that's where you're going to see him fall. He's not going to be scoring 20 points a game. He's not going to be scoring 18 points a game. I don't think he's going to be falling in between that 15, 16, 17 range. So I'm in on him for what he provides for this team. I don't think that he's some sort of good player that they should have in their future plans. But I think that most Knicks fans that watch this team and understand what the goal is and what the end game is, just know what Cantor brings to the table. He's going to work in the post. He's going to run the floor. He's going to struggle defensively, and he's going to rebound the basketball. It's nothing more than that. And that's all we can ask for him. And that's basically what he's done thus far up until tonight, in which he got his lunch stolen from by, by mm-hmm. Hassan Whiteside. I agree with that. I, I can get behind every point there. I'm more surprised to hear from you because I guess I respect your outlook on team building. And I, you know, like most fans, we don't really see the long term view for uh, Cantor there. Uh, As we should. But, if Ennis Cantor's on the team next year, they've made a mistake. Right, right. But and but like, but what you're saying is true. You know, he he he's doing everything that we're pretty much asking for. Uh, you know, at the t- at this point, you know, not tonight, but so far through the season last year, and you know, foreseeably for the future, he pretty much is who he is at this point. But right. Uh, but yeah, I, I guess right now I'm I'm still in on him as well. If anything, just to provide some entertainment, he's not winning us too many games. That's for sure. No, he's not. I think I'm going to yell at my roommate. He's downstairs watching the World Series right now. He's an enormous Red Sox fan, and I can just oh, hear him clap for my headphones. 
If uh, you guys hear any clapping in the background, just know it's Red Sox clapping. Oh, uh, so God. Do not that that doesn't need a place on this podcast, man. It's sickening. I watched the game with him last night, and when Nunez hit the home run, I was like, I'm going to bed, man. I can't do this anymore. I just yeah. have to keep on walking past this one schmuck's flag every morning, and he keeps alternating it between Patriots and Red Sox. Oh, Son in Chicago? Yeah. Oh, it's oh, so... Oh, my God. What an ass. Sucks? It's like right, right in front of his house is the most like beautiful red autumnal tree and that's like i'm like man that tree is beautiful every time i walk past it and then i have to look and see his fucking boston flags there and it just it just takes a beautiful start to my morning and puts it in a blender oh my god that's painful man i'm sorry you have to go through that every day it's okay i I live oh okay so a quick quick little thing that just popped up on twitter per um steven bondi of the new york daily news David Fisdale said he will look at the starting lineup and may change it for next game against the Warriors. So he said that prior to last game, though, right? He basically said the same thing. He said something yeah. like they were going. He was going to be looking at the game in five and the season in five game chunks. Like he was going to I guess, yeah. evaluate every five games or so. So I guess this would mm-hmm. be right on point. Yeah. So I mean, who do you think this actually happens for Friday, and who do you think that's sort of alluding to? I would say Trey Burke more than uh, Lance Thomas, especially because Lance hit some shots tonight. Um, I would say I think they might just start respecting Trey Burke, you know, his game off the bench. I just think he fits so much better in a six-man role versus a starting lineup kind of deal. Um, and we said that. We've been saying that forever. Yeah, of course. I, you, that was always our stance. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's the stance of most fans, too, and I think Fizzell is starting to take heed of that, so... Yeah, I don't think we minded when Burke was announced as the starter. I think we were mostly like, you know, it's fine. But I don't think that any of us really wanted that to be the long-term case. And we're, we're always going to say, with the Knicks this year, try everything you can. It just do throw any lineups against the wall, see what sticks. Try Trey Burke as a starter, take him off the bench, see what works. It's really not the most important thing who starts the game. We've seen them go with some different finishing lineups too. But here's the question. If Trey Burke hops over to the bench. Do they slide Neil Aquino up to point guard? Is it then uh, a Burke, a Hardaway, a Thomas, maybe a Dotson, a Cantor? Because if Fisdale's going to do his, you know, keep what you kill, you got to earn these spots. Dotson's been the best guy over the last three games to come off the bench and be the kind of player that, you know, we've all clamored for and, and like to see more minutes from. So Kyle, what do you think? If they make a change, where would you see them going? Honestly, I mean, I was thinking about the Dame Dots, and I, uh, I don't know. I, I feel like, I feel like Burke kind of has been, I mean, not playing himself out, but he's been wildly inconsistent, and Dotson needs more burn. He had 20 points tonight, I think on 8 of 14 shooting in 34 minutes. Made a couple of really nice defensive plays, too, including this uh, that little left-handed swat as he was backpedaling on Dragic in the first half. So, um I, I don't know. I, I just hope that um hope that it's Burke, to be honest with you. I hope that it's what you said and they slide Frank to the one and Dotson uh basically plays the three. Uh, he, the, the kid needs burned. He he's earned it. I, I and he's a strong defensive player. Like we've seen Dotson step up defensively. He makes some good plays. He was the only he's a, way, uh, he's a yeah, big dude. He was the only one really trying tonight, man. He was yeah. flying around, but I mean yeah. you can't do it by yourself. No, you're right, you're right. Yeah, I think it's a big move. I think you could essentially swap his and and uh, Trey Burke's roles right now. It's for, like 
let Trey Burke just get a little bit more shots in off the bench. Let Dotson get, oh, you know, just as much burden in the starting lineup. And because, you know, because like, it, I kind of like what you're saying, Kyle. He's kind of outplaying himself a little bit just in the fact that he's got too much responsibility being a starter. You bring that dude off the bench, I think he's going to be able to cook a little bit. And Dotson just seems like the kind of guy who can slot pretty well into a role. He just makes smart plays. He does. I mean, that's that, that's one thing that I'm really impressed by. He doesn't seem like he's really deviating off the game plan. He's just like, look, I got to go in, catch and shoot, drill some threes. And every game we've seen him mostly go in, catch and shoot, hit some threes. He cuts when he's supposed to cut. He placed out defense. I mean, we've been wanting him to crack the rotation since last year. So he's kind of proving it yet again now. In the preseason, he play, uh, played pretty well, too. He needs more opportunity. I don't know if Fizdale is going to start him immediately. Just because the way that they kind of handled Frank in, in being kind of ambiguous about, you know, where he's going to play, if he's going to start or not. Um, I don't know that they're just going to, like, thrust Dotson right in after not being in the rotation at all uh, the first couple games. But I'd like to see that. It just feels like Lance and Burke are really playing themselves out right now. So I don't know. I, I think if Mario had had another strong game tonight, you might have you know, experimented with the Mario over Lance thing, but I don't know if they're going to start Burke immediately. I was glad to see Lance at least take some shots and knock down a couple triples tonight because he's basically been invisible on offense for the first four games. He had just done absolutely nothing. That three pointer coming back, especially in like the first quarter really, really made me feel some kind of relief. I just, I just didn't want his shooting over the last like year and even some change to have been a fluke. And Lance Thomas was six rebounds, probably a career high in rebounds for him. (laughs) Let's talk about the Knicks as a team, because one thing that I wanted to hit on before the season, and you know, you mentioned Fisdale talks about five game chunks. So there's no reason why we can't think the same way. So we'll see how the numbers look after tonight, but the Knicks took 33 threes tonight out of 91 shots. So we're looking, they're taking, you know, three, 34, 35% of the time. Maybe a little higher than that. The problem with the Knicks for the last few years has been their shot selection and how they choose to get their offense. So before tonight, the Knicks were taking 62% of their shots at the rim and from three. So what we've learned in the NBA and what the Rockets have championed, what we've seen the Bucks get into again this year, and we've seen the Mavs and some other teams really start to hammer this point home is that getting shots at the rim and from three are the best way to score the basketball. So then, like I said, the Knicks about 62% of their shots, that's 25th in the NBA last year. They were about 57%, which was 28th in the NBA. The year before they were 22nd, the year before that they were 29th. The last year where they've been a top half team in terms of having a shot profile that actually looks like a modern NBA franchise was 2013-14. And even then, the league has changed so much over those last five years that it's not even comparable. So I guess this is all to say the Knicks still have a lot of ways to go. And this is why I don't love having Trey Burke take a lot of shots. So he takes 10 shots tonight. One of them is a three. A lot of them, a couple normally like he'll finish when he gets to the rim. He had a couple nice drives off of pick and rolls and couldn't quite finish it off. But some of the mid range shots he takes, we mentioned his shot profile last year was troublesome because his percentages weren't sustainable. So in general, we've said that we want to see the Knicks have a more positive shot profile. That's emblematic of a modern NBA that's shifting 
and not leaving the Knicks in the dust. And that hasn't quite been the case yet. It's not been as bad as it could have been, but I also am not completely pleased with how it's looked thus far. I mean, the first couple of games, I was pretty encouraged by the offense, but it, it seems like some of their old tendencies are kind of rearing the ugly head, like Burks chop. You know, I mean, yeah, he had three tonight, and I think he's been shooting them more willingly this season. He certainly has. Um, I think that's pretty. I think that's pretty fair to say. I think he's had a couple of games where he's had two or three attempts at least. So, um, but generally, you know, what made him efficient last year and what made him effective was the mid range, and you're going to see him kind of revert back to those shots sometimes, and it's it's not it's not great. I just. And a lot of people have concerns about Frank and his aggressiveness to create being the reason why you would want to have Burke there. But just, I think Frank drives well enough now that you can't really worry about that anymore. He's, he's shown like he's always in the paint. He's always kind of getting to where he wants to go. I just think Burke's really going to limit the effectiveness of the offense. I don't think he passes well enough and his shot profile doesn't fit with what they need. And, I don't know, man. And that's that's a big issue, and that's part of the reason why I like Trey Burke coming off the bench is just like you have it's just frustrating when you have him leading the play every time down the floor. You need, yeah, you need those guys in spurts. Right. Like that's why Trier's been fun. Trier comes in and we know like Trier's looking to get a couple of fucking buckets and then go take a seat. Right. You know? Like he comes in, he gets his six to eight quick points, and then he goes back and sits down. Like yeah, Burke totally. can do that. But like, you know, Say what you Frank might not be the offensive juggernaut of a point guard that you know people are trying to make him into, or you know saying that he'll never be or anything like that. But he's at least a steady ball handler at this point, who is not going to just try to run into isolation every time he brings the ball up the court. With Burke, it's he's never playmaking or anything like that. He's either going into isolation or just throwing the ball to someone else immediately. And it's just you know the the Knicks have trouble setting up off of that and. I think that when he's playing with more guys, like when he's playing with you know Alonzo Trier, and they're both working in isolation, they're playing off each other a little bit. It's just I think it'll be a little bit more cohesive for the starting lineup to have somebody else. I'm more worried about Frankie's finishing around the rim rather than his ability to get to the rim at this point. He just doesn't have many moves around the rim that he can use to really fake out any defenders. I've said it before, but he doesn't have a pump fake. He, his left is fine. It's not a completely reliable option for him. So when he can get there, it's a matter of learning how to finish and finding effective ways to trick NBA defenders that are going to have him down low, that he can start to have that as more reliable option. Because right now, when he gets to the rim, he just, I have no faith that he's going to put the ball in. Well, he doesn't really, you know, one thing I noticed with him lately is because I noticed this too. And he ever noticed how he doesn't really try to finish like you're saying that there's a lack of moves but he doesn't really even adjust a lot of times it always looks like he that last step he always takes instead of it being like an explosive burst it's always like he half steps down a little bit yes and it kind of like glides into this slow easy layup and he never again like adjusts to me it's always like he's just using his length and just extending a little bit further and he just doesn't look comfortable i guess is what i'm saying like he doesn't look like he's comfortable going to the rack he looks like he's someone still trying to figure out how to do so so she is here's which, yeah, he, which yeah. he is, but, My point but to is, that point extent to, to harp on just the thing is this, uh, this was his 83rd career game in the NBA. It's like, I just think a lot of it is him not having the reps yet at this point. It's just, you know, he's got, yeah, he's got that finish on the left and that's good. And the, and, you know, the rest of his game is going to, yeah, he's going to you know, come along over time, but it's just, I like seeing him get to the rim a little bit. I like seeing him be able to like, 
he had that one like burst of speed he pulled off in the second quarter for that dunk. Um, and just seeing him be able to, you know, read the floor while he's on the way down like that is encouraging to me. His all his spot up game has looked really good to begin the season too. Um, and that I think is just going to become a bigger tool for him. And I, I, I think I see, I'm beginning to see a noticeable improvement in him over, you know, since year one. His game can just feel a bit formulaic to me at times, especially when he gets to the mid range and in the pick and roll. Sometimes it's not a feel it's a, okay, this is what I want to do. I'm going to take two dribbles, go to the rim and put a layup up and hope the defender doesn't try to block it. So that's where we'd like to continue to see improvement. But Frank does have at least one three in every game the Knicks have played thus far. So, I mean, that's promising. We saw last year him start to push it out from three a little bit more. Uh, let's continue to see that. I'd like to spot up shooting too. The percentages aren't great, but that's going to come. He was two of three tonight, so probably up somewhere around 33% for the year after this. So, you know, sign me up for that. We've said last year that was his the biggest concern. He wasn't a very efficient player, but he's got to be the most talked about sub seven point per game player in Knicks history besides like Pablo Prigioni. The amount of discussion that goes into Frank Nilekina and the arguments and the, and the nuance that goes into evaluating his game, which we talked about last week is just baffling and fun and also frustrating at times. It's fascinating, isn't it? Because it is, it truly is. You could make so many different cases for him in so many different directions. I've never seen somebody, I've never seen a prospect quite like this. Not, not with the Knicks anyway. I, I mean, you, you can make a full on argument for him being a point guard based on his size and playmaking and that being a mismatch for opposing guards. Uh, you can make the, the perfectly logical case that he should be a two or a three and play the wing. And, you know, when I watch him now, like I, I see it through all these different scopes and like I'll watch him a certain place and be like, wow, yeah, that looks exactly like what a wing should be doing. So it's like it's it's fun that there's so many pretty strong points all around here with this discussion. Yeah, and it's just like there's so much that's it's being tested out right now too, which is what's really nice to see about this discussion too. It's not just things that we're speculating on. You know, we have a coach who's trying it out, who's playing Frank at the three, who's playing Frank at the two. You know, we're presumably going to see more play from Frank. You know, being the the lead guard soon, and it's just you know we don't quite know all the answers to Frank Nealakina, but again, it's it's 83 games into his career. He's 20 years old. And we at least are conducting the experiments to kind of hopefully figure that out sooner than later. And I think so far the progress has been coming along well. He always has a floor built in because of the defense. And that's why I, the more I thought about the Knox pick over the summer and the more that I wanted the Knicks to take a wing, I enjoyed the Knox pick because when you put Knox in a defense, we know he struggles and obviously he's out for, for the next you know couple of weeks. We'll see when he comes back, but when you put Knox into defense and you already have Neil Aquina and Porzingis, you automatically have three guys that are rangy. You hope with Knox he can improve, but are switchable defenders that can really be X factors on the floor and move around and put in a lot of different spots to really try to detract an offense from getting into a groove. So you, there you have two spots after that. After those three are locked in, hopefully if Knox becomes the guy we hope he can be, the other two spots are up for grabs in the long-term future for this team, but you already have a defensive floor built in. So it's exciting to think about where you can go from there. And that's why Frank, no matter what the Knicks decide to do with him, if he can start to become just a somewhat consistent offensive option that can knock down a three that can hopefully maybe score 10 points a game. Once he's in a couple of years, once he's really started to grow a little more, 
he already has a built-in floor, and he can already be this good because of his defense. Whatever the Knicks decided to do with him is up to them. But he's an asset on the floor, no matter what the scenario, in our perfect world where he is able to play with some other great players. And it's something that Kyle says a lot about someone like Lance Thomas, who has basically played on awful NBA teams for his entire career, save for a couple seasons with the Thunder. He bounced around for a while. But we've seen him play on an awful Knicks team for the last four years. So how do we know what he would even look like if he were to play on a good basketball team? We have no idea. The same thing applies for a lot of these young guys. And that's why when a guy gets drafted, there are so many different players that get drafted to the wrong scenario. We see it happen all the time. Jalen Rose always talks about it when he got drafted by the Nuggets and he ended up having a great career when he went elsewhere. But he said, I got drafted by the wrong team and I was blessed enough to be able to move somewhere else before that got worse and I was out of the NBA or something. We've seen it happen with the Knicks. We saw even the Chandler Gallinari who moved on quickly. The Jordan Hill who they traded. Those guys weren't drafted by the right team. So that's for sure. Yes. Yeah, with, that's for damn sure. With Frank, I guess the, the crux of the argument is always that I just think he has a built-in floor because of his defense. And I think we all are on the same page there. Yeah, the floor and his, like to me is just as really on a generic level, you could even call it his playmaking ability. Like he's shown enough where even if you don't believe he's truly a point guard, he's shown enough that he's generally looking to move the ball in some capacity and move it well. We've seen him fit the ball into tight pockets. He's pretty effective in the pick and roll. So for me, just those two things is like, well, you sort of have a ball handler on the floor in him, uh, an elite defender in him. So a, a guy who's going to be able to distribute pretty well. And it's like, that has a, to me, yeah, it's an incredibly safe floor. Like I, I know people, I don't want to like oversell his offensive impact, but I don't think he's as much of a minus there as people seem to think he is. He has a lot of really decent skills that you're going to want or need on any roster. So I know I brought it up on the last pod. I think about if he was even like Andre Roberson, you know, that guy's a starting, you know, wing in the NBA just off of defense. So Frank brings that kind of quality of defense and then can hit one of two threes every game and be able to bring the ball up and down the court. Like there's more value in that kind of player than just a Roberson. And you know what Andre Roberson is if he's on the Knicks? A nobody. No one cares about him. Because right. he's on a bad team. People like Gallic yeah. Robertson because he's on a good Oklahoma City Thunder team yeah. and he's flanking two NBA superstars. It's always important to put context on a player. So if the Knicks get lucky and they end up landing a couple stars and Frank is this incredible defender that we know he is and that would continue to put this effort out on a night to night basis and the Knicks are on primetime all the time, he's going to get that attention. He's too good not to. So context in the NBA is so, so important. No one cares about the Knicks right now. And the national spotlight should not be on them. No one should care about the Knicks right now. We love the Knicks. That's why we sit here and watch them lose by 23 points to the Miami Heat and get blown out by 25 points in the third quarter because we love it and we stick by them and we enjoy watching them. <laughs> and we love this young core they're building. But no one else should care. So let them be surprised when Frank Nielakina comes out and if the Knicks get lucky, like I said, and land a couple superstars or something along the way, and Frank is thrust in the spotlight, we know what he can do on defense. Let's see him get there. And it's just a journey. We, I feel like we're going to have this debate every week this year, but it's just, it's a fun one to have. Kyle, like Kyle said, it's fascinating, the player that he is.
thing I, I have to disagree with in that uh, in that argument there, Matt, is I definitely do not enjoy watching the Knicks every time. Uh, every time I watch them. That's My incredibly Lord. fair. Incredibly fair. <laughs> I, I, I will admit I had to finish the Milwaukee game the next day because I was just, I, I left. I went, I got invited to a concert and I left and did, went and did that instead. You <laughs> missed a nice run at the end of the game though. Yeah. Well, no, I saw it afterward, but I'm just, the, for the time being, I was like, this can wait. Was the concert fun at least? It was a good time. It went okay. late. It ended at like one on a Monday. All right, Kyle, are you ready? We're going to do it. Start the Tim Hardaway Jr. debate right now. Ooh. Oh, I thought you'd never ask. Okay. Oh. All right, I had to wait. I had to build people up. I had to butter them up just for this. Oh, I'm glad I was sitting down. All right. Uh, so I, I guess we'll start off. We brought this up recently a couple of times, but I was tweeting the game tonight. And, I, and Timmy had a pretty nice little first half. And it hit me that... It doesn't matter what Tim Hardaway Jr. does over the course of a game or a week or a season. Um, people just hate that guy. And, and I've seen some of the YouTube comments when we put it up there um, talking about Timmy. Um, the guy the guy is a good player. I don't know where we got this notion that he's a horrible player. He's a good player, guys. Every time I tweet something or we tweet something about Tim Hardaway Jr., you can't just tell us that he sucks. This is not this is not how we have the conversation. He does not suck. So I tweeted something about he uh, he was holding Cantor accountable on defense. Uh, Timmy kind of led the defender in. Cantor was supposed to step up, didn't step up. Timmy fouled him, so he turns around to something to Cantor to tell him to rotate and get back on defense. And so all I said was, oh, you know, it's good to see that, you know, Tim talked about taking a, a leadership role this season and he's holding guys accountable. And they, today you can check the mentions right now. The conversation is still happening. There are multiple threads of people arguing with each other about um, it's not good leadership. It's actually bad leadership because he's a terrible defender. He's not a good player. He's not a good leader. You can't call someone out uh, like that. That's a hypocrite. Da, 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 da. So I don't. And then I tweeted too. Uh, he avoided Josh Richardson. Uh, got around it, and this Cantor screen played it perfectly. Stifled Timmy's drive to the left. So then Timmy went back to the right. And had he gone for the three, Richardson was already popping out. He had already gotten over the screen again. So Timmy took a step in to use Cantor's body and drilled the two pointer. And someone's just like, "Smart play. He shot a long two. That's never a smart play. Doesn't matter what he and he hit the shot. Doesn't matter what he does." People hate this guy, and it's just enough. He's a good, effective offensive player. He's scoring, I mean, after tonight, it's going to be significantly lower, but he's averaging 27 in a night the, over the first four games of the season. When is enough going to be enough? And didn't somebody say something with the assist to you, Matt? Yeah, I had a conversation with a couple of people because I tweeted a nice play that Hardaway had to Cantor. He came off a pick and roll and did a one-hand lefty pass over his head to Cantor for a nice bucket. And someone was pointing out that he doesn't grade that highly in assists, although he plays a lot of minutes. And I just made the point that he's a shooting guard and yeah, he's not asked to run the offense. He's asked to make smart decisions in the pick and roll. And I think he's done that so far this year and score and score first and foremost, which he's done well. But I think but it, that's, here's but the, that's not enough ever. No. Well, here's the cow. Here's the problem. I'm listening. He was doomed the second he finished signing his name on that contract. No yep. matter how he played as a Nick, it wasn't going to matter. That's that's the fact. That's the way it is. He was fine last year. 
He was a passable player. He averaged 17 and a half points on fine percentages. He's been nothing short of great this year. There are some facets of his game that can improve. We talked in Slack tonight about how he's shooting a great percentage from three, but his two-point percentage is remarkably low, and that's going to improve, which is only going to help his overall field goal percentage. So we could see that even tick up. I said in the summer, he's going to score 20 points per game this year, and it looks like he's on track to do that. He's going to go through stretches where he is just absolutely awful at basketball, and then he's going to go through stretches like the first three or four games where he becomes one of four Knicks to have 24 points and three three-pointers in three straight games or four straight games. It's He's a streaky player. He's been exactly what they could have hoped for this year. And I get that his contract isn't fantastic. I get the concerns about his defense. I understand all of it. But it's important to be realistic. I want everyone to understand. I'm going on a tangent here, but Tim Hardaway Jr. was one of my least favorite Knicks ever when they drafted him. And he was on the team for two years. I was over the moon ecstatic when they got Jaron Grant for him. And they were able to get a first round. As as was I. I thought that was brilliant. It was. And it still was. It still is. It's still a good decision. But he grew in Atlanta. He's a much different player now than he was then. He had no pick and roll chops back then with the Knicks. And now he can do that with Cantor. He's worked it with Cantor. And we've seen that time and time again. And he's averaged. About three assists this year. He had one game when he had no assists, and he blatantly said after the game, I shot too much. I didn't involve my teammates enough. That's great because Hardaway's biggest problem, I think, has always been his lack of self-awareness, and it still is a problem. But with a scorer like him, you want a guy to be a little delusional, right? That's what we love about scorers like that. That's what we love about the J.R. Smiths and the Mario Hazonias when they're on. And the Allen Houston's, the Spreewells, the guys that they've had, the Starks, they always have that little bit of delusion. And Hardaway is not going to be an all-time Nick. But for a team that's bad and is in desperate need of scoring, he's fulfilled that role well for this team. Not a great game tonight, I know. But it was an unnatural game with the blowout and everything going on. But Corva, what do you think about Hardaway? Because Kyle and I have expounded upon this enough. Do you agree with us? Do you have any differing takes on Tim Hardaway? My whole thing is that I don't think that Tim Hardaway can really be so far excluded from the youth movement of this team. And so as he's held now, is he like 25? 26. 26. So he's definitely on the older side of this team. But he's really just at a point where he is emerging into what his set, you know, his solid, steady self as a player, you know, who he'll be for the next couple of years is prime. And I think that that comes at the very beginning with lots of mistakes. But we've seen a solid improvement in his play year after year, even with the injuries last year, you know, even with the inconsistency and the poor shooting this year, uh, you know, his three pointers still look good. And he's been able to lead the charge and really score. And. He's never been put really in a position like this before. I mean, even last year can't count because he's just he was so hurt the entire time. So this is his first year really, you know, leading the charge, really being the number one option. And I think that comes with a whole nother level of understanding. And I think it's a challenge for him to really get that and understand it. And you know, I think that I think that he is a good player. I think that he's a good fit for the Knicks. And I think he is being learning how to become a good leader for the team. Um, but he's going to need time just like anybody else. And, uh, you know, what do we have to lose by giving it to him right now? And I stand by, we just live in a time when we, there's such an emphasis 
to have every player needs to be making exactly market value or anything over that as a gross overpayment. And we see these overreactions all the time. Tim Hardaway Jr. is going to get 55 to 60 million, no matter what that off season. Like that. Yeah. That was, that was a guarantee. Wasn't the talk that Atlanta would have matched if it was 50 or 55 or something like that. I think at, that was the at, report that came out after Atlanta said they were like, they were trying for 45 million. That was like their target. But then they said they would have matched up to 55 or 60 mil. So Regardless, he was going to get 50. He was a player valued at 55 to 60 million dollars. The Knicks paid him 71 million dollars. And if you cut that over the four years that he's here, that's an extra two and a half, almost three, uh, three million extra per year. It's really not a gross overpayment. I don't know why we, any any player that signs for a couple million extra, we call it like this massive overpayment. This wasn't a Joe Noah situation. Like the the kid is producing, and he. He's kind of producing better than we thought, like this season especially. I mean, we didn't expect this, you yeah. know? So w- what are we really doing here? We're, now, we're, a- we're angry at a scorer for scoring and making a couple more dollars than he would have anyway. To be fair about his contract. on a tanking team too. Right. To be fair about his contract, I think the point of contention among some fans is that he represents a roadblock to get another max deal for this team. Because if the Knicks want to open up two max slots, he can't be on the roster, which means right. they would have to trade him. And he's not exactly someone that a lot of NBA teams really have up high on their wish list. So it probably means the Knicks would have to attach some sweeteners to get him off the books if they were going to have another big time free agent come. So I think that always sticks in the back of people's minds, too. It's more about what Tim Hardaway Jr. personifies than what he is as the player. That's what I think. I could be wrong about that. If there's people out there that just despise his game, that's fine. He's typically not the kind of basketball player that I particularly enjoy because he's not incredibly efficient, but he shoots a lot of threes, which I like. He's not a great defender. But at when we're talking about this team, it's such a funny point, the Tim Hardaway Jr. thing, because it just it sparks such flames. It engulfs the fan base, and it feels like, there's just not that many people out there that want to just give him credit where credit is due and understand that he's played pretty well this year for all things considered. Not for nothing, before tonight, 96 percentile against pick and rolls. Not for nothing. Small sample size, but not for nothing. Yeah. What do you think about that, Kyle? Pretty good. That's not bad, right? 96, that's not bad. Not bad. I've heard worse. In fact, there were many worse. before. 95 numbers worse. I mean, that yeah. says a lot right there. Yeah. All right. Any other big takeaways from tonight's game? I know we've talked about Dotson wanting to see him get some more minutes. Um, the Trey Burke thing was frustrating tonight. Anything else from tonight that we didn't get a chance to hit on yet that we saw? Um, how about Vonley? Do we, do we like, or do we not like what we saw from Vonley out there? I saw a couple fine. of plays where he looked pretty lost and yeah, well, it, took his himself issue to isolation. Is- yeah, mid-range jumpers. Yeah, look, the, the the Miami bigs were tough tonight. This is that's that, that's that's what it comes down to. Um, everybody knew about Whiteside. People are starting to understand what Bam brings to the table, and uh, that's just not a a one-two punch that you really want to have to deal with. Cantor is a extraordinarily efficient uh, big on the block, and he just couldn't get anything that he wanted to against either one of these bigs tonight. So I, I don't really. The way we've seen Vonley play so far in in both the preseason and the first four games of this season, um, I I don't know. It's not any cause for concern. 
Not yet. Yeah, with uh, sorry, my like ad flipped on or something. Um, yeah, and also Kelly Olynyk is not a bad player. As much as we want to punch him in the face, he's also a guy that the Knicks have to worry about down there. Vonley is just an energy guy. I don't think there's any yeah. nights where he's going to be incredible. Like I don't think he's going to put up like a twenty and twelve or something. It could happen, but on a very very rare occasion. And but he's just going to bring the energy. He had nine more rebounds tonight. I like what I've seen from him. I can understand why. Teams have moved on from him because when he gets the ball in a pick and roll scenario and he's kind of around the rim, he just kind of looks lost. Like you said, he struggles to really make any sort of decision. He hasn't done much shooting this year, but he's around the basketball. He fights for rebounds. He works hard. He's I love, love, love the chemistry between him and Trier. I mentioned I tweeted earlier today before tonight. Trier and Vonley had the best two man net rating of anyone on the Knicks minimum 50 minutes, which Again, that's that's 50 minutes spent together on a basketball court. It can be kind of a fluke if it's 10 minutes, but it's still a fluke if it's 50 minutes, but it's still something we can extrapolate. It's a much less it's much less of an example of a fluke. So there's more we can take away from that. But I liked what I saw from him. Trier again was a little inefficient, but these games where you get a blowout and the basically the second half of the game is useless from our perspective makes it a little tough. Yeah, but I agree. At least at least they have a very winnable game on Friday night. How about yeah. that? You know, the Golden State Warriors. Yep. Can't wait. So, somebody that, somebody tweeted us and was just like, oh, uh, so after this blowout, how many points do you think the Warriors are going to drop on us? 140, 150, or 160? So, dude, it's yeah. going to it's going to be gross. What do you and think it, the line's going to be? Uh, it'll probably be Golden State by four, five. Oh, no, there'll be way more than that. Way more. I think there'll be like 12. On the road, even? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Against this Knicks team, they should be favored. Double digits easily. I think I forget what they were favored by last year. I think when the Knicks played in Golden State, I think Golden State was favored by 20 points, which is hilarious. But that was the Knicks minus KP. People forget the Knicks led the Warriors at halftime twice last year. People forget this. So let's see if they can keep that streak going. Narrator, Not ruling it out. They can't. <laughs> we didn't think they could last year either. Uh, so you never know. Yeah, All right, you guys have true. any any more notes before we get out of here? Uh, no, I think we covered it. Yeah, I think we hit everything from this game. Just uh, what do we have anything to plug at the site? Kyle. Oh, uh, yeah. Make sure recap we're, just went up. Yep, we just yeah, posted. Re- recap just went up. Um, Let's see here. So we just started the Twitch channel. We've been a little bit more consistent with it. Going to try to do our pregame and postgame shows on there. Most nights uh, tonight we had the pod, so there's no postgame play there. But we're, we like to do these little uh, 2K pregame shows. We're going to simulate the games for you guys. Talk Knicks. Uh, crowd's growing on there, so make sure you subscribe. It's yeah. twitch.tv slash the Knicks wall. Um, like a mini live podcast. You'll love it. Yeah, yeah. So it's 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 nice and engaging. We enjoy it. Um, outside of that, uh, check out the TKW shop on T Public. Um, just all of our designs from last year; those were fantastic. Got a couple new ones up for this season. A couple more things cooking. Um, and just make sure you uh, give us a nice five star rating when you get done with this, because that also, is important and makes us feel good. Also. Um, stalling for one sec, so I have to get this up. But I want to read out the voicemail line 
because we need to get you guys putting in some voicemails for us. We want to start answering them on the show. So for everyone who's still listening to us right now, that number is 727-859-7631. Give us a call, leave us a question, and we'd love to answer it on air. So any time of week, doesn't have to be when we're recording or anything like that. We'll get to it. Absolutely. I uh, just heard my roommate say, come on, Mookie. Really not what you want to hear. Not how I want to close out the podcast. <laughs> all right. Close it that we Guys, will. Exactly. It's awful. All right. So we'll talk to you later in the week. Let's see if the Knicks can keep that streak going against the Warriors on Friday. Let's see it. Guys, we'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening.